Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach Brendan Sir. I am so excited today. Todd Golden, head coach, 34-year-old head coach at the University of San Francisco in the WCC conference, one of the best conferences in the country with the Gonzaga, BYU, and St. Mary's. Powerful teams. Had an amazing first year as a head coach. Got the job last March at only 33 years of age. I'm going to call you the young coach. The 34-year-old coach at the University of San Francisco uh, is our guest today. Todd, welcome, my friend. Hey, Brandon. I appreciate you uh, having me on. I'm, uh, I've been looking forward to this, for sure. Well, you know, uh, we, our mutual friend, David Patrick, who I got to work with at LSU when you were at Auburn, and uh, just raves about you and has for years. And uh, and so I was so excited last year when Kyle got the Washington State job and that they named you at 33 years of age a head coach. An amazing, um, amazing opportunity, but... You know, I I watched your press conference from there and, you know, the poise that you showed and everything, um, you know, it was like well beyond your years. What was it like to be named a head coach at that age? It was, uh, it was just, it was just awesome. You know, to be honest, it was something that, uh, you know, and I'll I'll go back a couple of years. It was tough leaving Bruce and and those guys at Auburn, you know, at that time. But when, when Kyle got the opportunity at San Francisco, um, you know, one of his big selling points for, for me to come back with him was just simply, Hey, if we can get this thing going and, uh, to the point where I'm able to maybe, you know, step up and get a pack 12 or something along those lines that, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll move you up. And, and that was, that was a great selling point in its own right. And, you know, fortunately we were able to have three really good seasons and, you know, uh, had to gain the trust in my administration and, uh, you know, they, without doing a national search or anything along those lines, they, they bumped me up and knock on wood, it's gone, gone really well so far. You know, uh, that is an incredible part. And I have four dogs at home. It sounds like you have a beautiful little child at home. No, yeah, I got yeah, my, my little son's running around. We kept him home from school today ah, and, uh, good in the him. midst of the coronavirus outbreak. And, uh, you know, he just ran right through the bedroom, of course. Of know? course he did. Of course he did. And now he's going to jump on the bed. And you know what? We we start him early at coaching you, so that would be great. No. <laughs> so you're growing up in Phoenix, and, and, and you decide to go to St. Mary's as a preferred walk-on. Why why Randy Bennett? Why St. Mary's? It's a great question. And it's it's funny because I tell people the only other Division One opportunity that I had to play uh, was at Columbia University in the Ivy League, and, and my that? dad, my dad grew up in, in White Plains, New York, so it was about thirty minutes from there. And uh, you know, he, I, I just wanted to play good, high level basketball, and, and I really just f- fell in love with Randy and Kyle when I went up there on my visit. Uh, was really just impressed with what they were building. You know, Randy took over a program that only had one Division One win. They were two and twenty seven the year before he got there, and uh, they had won- just won nine in their first year. Uh, you know, he was from Phoenix, really, you know, from Mesa himself. And uh, I just really enjoyed the guys, you know, they, they had great guys in the program, had a lot of fun. And I, I honestly canceled my trip to, to Columbia. I, I was just I was just bought in right away. And uh, I, I just thought they were going places and, and I wanted to be a part of that and get in on the ground floor. And looking back on it, you know, I, I think it's kind of funny because not going to visit an Ivy League school was probably a poor decision. <laughs> but uh you know, uh, I, I was just really fortunate how, how it's all turned out. You know, your uh, your dad and I have something in common. I was born in Yonkers, New York, which is right, uh, obviously, wow. outside the city. And, and uh, you know, and it's it, it, it's amazing. Uh, you know, and then, of course, when I was with the Knicks, I, I ended up living in White Plains in an apartment sure. there. Yeah, so, sure. uh, you know, I think one of the things that uh, I, I really admire about Randy Bennett and the St. Mary's program are the incredible, you know, DP calls it, you know, the tree of coaches yeah. that have come there. It, it's startling, absolutely startling. It's one of the very best in, in college basketball. Uh, talk about some of the guys that have come out of there that you're friends with and, and have influenced you. Well, I, I tell people this all the time, you know, when, uh, when I was a junior, I think it was either sophomore or junior, our, our staff had, five division one head coaches on it you know obviously randy was the head coach and, and kyle was his right hand man from from day one and, and he's obviously doing a great job at washington state they had a huge win over colorado last night in the first round of mm-hmm. the pac-12 tournament 
And then obviously David Patrick was on that staff, who's now doing a great job at, at UC Riverside. They have 17 wins in year two. He's turned that thing around super, super quick. And then a guy like Aranganat, the head coach at Hawaii, was our video coordinator, basically. And uh, just another great leader, um, great basketball mind, just overall great guy. And then we had Lamont Smith on that staff, wow. who did a really nice job in a couple of years at, at San Diego. So, uh, you know, to be able to play under those guys and you know just kind of learn from them on an everyday basis and and learn the the right way to run a program and uh whether it was player development or you know they were on the cutting edge of analytics uh you know it, it was just an incredible environment to to be able to play in and and learn under and there's no doubt that uh I've tried to do my best kind of plucking different things from each guy mm-hmm. uh and and molding myself as a coach but uh you know that experience is something that uh that has really just kind of driven me to to where I've been able to get today. So Todd, when you know, I always think like my high school coach was UB Brown, right? So wow, yeah. okay, that was a pretty good. Yeah, one. <laughs> not bad, right? Public schools were good back then, and uh, you know, sure. the luck of it, him being in our town, wasn't even a basketball school. He came and took over a terrible program, and uh, but after literally my sophomore year in high school, uh, I said. I want to, I went home and told my mother, you know, who was a school teacher. I said, I want to be like coach Brown. I want to be a teacher. Sure. I want to be a high school coach. And she said, relax, you know, like, go, to, <laughs> go to school, go to college, you know, and, and then he left, he, he got a college assistance job, but his, with one year, uh, the influence that he has over the influence of coaching, uh, the influence of you as a coach, even though you're very, very young, you understand completely the responsibility that you have. Talk about Randy Bennett's, you know, who I think is the people on the East Coast have no idea about him, right? They don't know. Right. They just see this right. guy, you know, going up and down the sidelines. They don't know, you know. And man, uh, but the people that have come out of his program, they're amazing. And the job he does coaching. Talk about the influence he had on you. You know, I think when when uh, when talking about Randy, there there's a couple things that that make him who he is. You know, and and I think it's not just him; it's the tree. You know, the, all the people that work under him. That we don't consider ourselves the most talented guys, um, but you know, his work ethic uh, and his his grit. You know, th- those two things. Uh, I would put that up against anybody in America. And uh, the guy just refuses to lose. He refuses to get beat. You know, he just works so hard and just has a great understanding of what what winning is and and what being a good team is. And he really instilled that in our program at St. Mary's from day one. You know, it was one of those things where uh, he didn't really care how talented you were if you were not willing to to buy in and be a part of the group uh, and, you know, root for your teammate and be a part of the greater good, he, he just wasn't going to play you. He was not going to allow you to, to be a part of it. So, you know, that foundation that he has, uh, you know, I think is really unique. I think it's something that you have to be really uh, self-confident to, to coach that way, you know, because a lot of guys want to just, you know, roll out the talented guys and just see where the tips fall. But um, <clears throat> from day one, being on campus, uh, you 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 had to understand that you know this was about being a Gale. This wasn't about yourself, and uh, you know that just the way he's able to impress that upon everybody, whether it was his coaches, whether it was the players, whether it was student managers, you know, administration on campus, you know, everybody just kind of understood uh, what the program was about, and and sure enough, it was you know, in, in three or four quick years that he was able to take a, a program that he inherited at two and 27 to a 25 win NCAA tournament team. You've been to, um, you know, different size programs. You know, you went to Columbia, which is an, an iconic Ivy league school. Um, and then, you know, you went to Auburn, which is, you know, the SEC, uh, Auburn football, basketball. I mean, it's at a, par excellence and yeah. Bruce Pearl is one of the very best coaches and friends I have in, in the business. He's phenomenal. And, you know, what was the difference between, let's say what you learn, learn from Bruce. And I know you played for him with the back of team, but what do you, what do you learn from sure. that? And I think it's important to have different people to learn from. Yeah, it was honestly the best decision I made uh, in my coaching career was to go down and, and be with Bruce because, you know, I played for Randy and Kyle. So I really got a great understanding of, of the way that they uh, believed was the right way to build a program and, and to, to make sure everything 
was aligned in terms of winning and, and everybody being on the same page. And then you have a guy like Bruce, who, to be honest, is the exact opposite of Randy Bennett, right? I mean, <laughs> they're just uh, they're on completely different ends of the spectrum, but they're both incredibly successful and they both really understand winning. And uh, you know, where Randy is very organized, and Kyle's the same, very organized. Um, you know, just very uh, calm, very even keeled. And then you go to Bruce where, where he's a little disheveled at times, but my gosh, you know, he, uh, he has the energy of an 18 year old kid yeah. nonstop, you know, flying around the country, recruiting uh, great energy with his players, whether it be in practice or in games. And, uh, you know, he, he's a way more volatile. Um, but, uh, you know, Bruce's, Bruce's kids really understand that he cares about them. You know, right. they, they'll run through a wall for him. And so, I was able to really get two completely different perspectives on how to build, you know, NCAA programs. And, and a lot of guys who, you know, might just be with one coach for 10 years don't get that. They don't understand that experience. And, and what we've tried to do here at USF is I, I'd say we're about 75% Randy and Kyle and about 25% Bruce from the way, you know, we try to let our guys play a little bit more. We try to let them go uh, and, and have full confidence out on the floor. Um, but just getting those different viewpoints, I think, has really helped me become a more well-rounded coach. I want to touch on that when we come back from this timeout. But we're going to take a quick timeout, and we'll be back with Todd Gold. Let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high-repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish has also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind in the basketball shooting machine industry that enables players and coaches to stay connected, design and upload training exercises, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is, without question, the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to drdishbasketball.com or follow them on Twitter at drdishbball. Don't forget to mention Coaching You and receive $300 off on your next Dr. Dish purchase. That's right. Mention Coaching You or the podcast and get $300 off your Dr. Dish. Hey, we're back with Todd Golden, the head coach at the University of San Francisco. One of the really storied programs in college basketball going all the way back uh, into the 50s with the great Bill Russell and Casey Jones. Uh, what a program. And, you know, one of the things that really impressed me, Bruce Pearl we talked about, uh, you know, people say, my God, he's got great players. But having observed Bruce, coached against Bruce, his style of play, I think, is really key. I mean, the ability to be able to press, <laughs> presses sometimes on the baseline out of bounds when you're taking the yeah. ball out underneath, which I think is incredibly brilliant. Uh, and then the way his, uh, I call it his, you know, I don't, I'm not sure what the hell to call it, but the way he, <laughs> his motion flex offense, you know, with all sure. the movement that they get and the cutting, it really keeps great athletes organized. And then he runs some really neat uh, quick hitters off of it. Talk, yeah. talk about the idea of learning uh, different styles of ball so that you can mix it all together for yourself. Yeah, I think one of the things that's that's really funny uh, and unique about Bruce is, you know, I don't think people think of him as much of an analytical mind, but and I don't even know if, if he thinks of himself as that, but the way he coaches is uh, it's very analytical, you know, whether it's intentional or not. You know, and, and one thing I, I think about is his full court defensive pressure, you know, and, and it's really, it's different now at Auburn than he was right. doing it at Tennessee 10 years ago. But what he's able to do with that full court pressure is he really limits the amount of opportunities that the opposition gets in the first 10 to 12 seconds of the shot clock. You know, he makes them slow it down. He makes them walk it up the floor and then he, he's able to drop back and set his defense and make them operate, you know, in, in, in late shot clock. And, and the reality is, as you know, Teams that are able to, to score early in transition, that, that's the most efficient way to score. So mm -hmm. he's got these big, long, athletic teams, and, and now he's making you know his opposition operate in the half court. It's really freaking hard to score on those guys. you know, And that, that's just a really analytical way to approach the defensive end. And I, I think it's brilliant. And now you look at his team this year, 
I I, I kind of joke with with those guys. It's ugly ball. You know that they're not a pretty team, but they they're long. They get on the glass. They get fouled a lot. And again, you know they 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 rely on two things with this team. They they do a great job of getting to the foul line, and they do a great job on the offensive glass. And what that does is I think it raises the their their floor from a standpoint of you know how how how. Um, how well they're going to play because they can always rely on getting the foul line. They're going to always rely on second chances. And, you know, when they shoot the ball, well, watch out because it's going to be really, really tough to beat them um, because of that. So, you know, everything from that. And then Randy, obviously, and and Kyle, they're more of a motion offense, more of a, you know, want to spread it out four out ball screen, uh, you know, pick and roll, pick your poison. Am I going to hit the roll? Am I going to hit the shake guy out of the corner? Uh, you know, we've been able to really pick and and choose a lot of different things from, from all these guys. And I think it's one of the reasons why we've been so good offensively here at San Francisco the last couple of years, uh, because we've kind of been able to mold that within our offense, whether it's the pick and roll, we were running the Princeton for the first couple of years, uh, you know, really just kind of looking at our, our personnel and finding the best positions to put them in for us to be successful. I saw that you play Princeton, you play Harvard, you know, but, mm-hmm. which is really good because they're two great coaches and great. I mean, you talk about great universities. I mean, to get them uh, to players is fabulous. You know, Tommy Amaker, you know, Mitch Anderson, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> if you can coach against them and, and you know, two different styles too, uh, yeah. it really helps your team, you know, prepare, I mean, for conference play, I think. Oh, for sure, and we played Yale as well. You know, so no we way, James. And, I didn't yeah, know we that. Played Yale. <laughs> yeah, we played Yale. The, so when did you Yale finish? Team. You finished first in the Ivy, then. <laughs> we were so we played Yale two days after we played Princeton. We went two and one against those guys. Harvard came in here and beat us in overtime, and it was a heck of a game. We had a chance. We had a wide open three to win it at the end of regulation. Just couldn't knock it down, but. Um, you know, to your point, those guys are some of the best basketball minds yes. in the country. You know, Mitch played for, you know, Pete Crow, one of the best coaches ever. And, uh, you know, they, they run some really, really tricky stuff that you really, it's hard to scout for because it's all sure. read and react. And, um, you know, just the, the freedom, the controlled freedom is the best way I can put it that those guys play with is really unique. And then you got James at Yale, who is all about getting on the glass and, and they have some really great athletes <laughs> on their front line and really good players. And I'll tell you what, the, the job that Tommy's done at Harvard is, is nothing short of amazing. You know, we, we were joking, you know, Harvard comes in here and, you know, 15, 20 years ago, you think Harvard, oh, okay, they might be a nice group. These They had six top 100 guys on their roster. I mean, they're coming in here and they, they're looking like Duke. You know, it's like we're watching layup lines and these guys look like they could be playing in the NBA. So uh, it, it was just a huge challenge, you know, yeah. to go up against those guys. And me as a first-year head coach, I'm sitting over there kind of chuckling like, man, you know, uh, am I going to have the stones to keep up with these guys? And uh, Fortunately, we played pretty well. You know, that Harvard game was one that we wish we could have got. But um, <clears throat> just just great challenges, you know, and uh, like they all do it different ways. But, you know, Tommy Amaker, I'm looking over on the sidelines. This guy's been a successful coach for 20 years, you know, and yep. I'm just trying to trying to keep up with him. But uh, it, it made us better, you know, playing those teams in, in the preseason. It truly made us better. You know, we had a rough one week stretch in January. And over the last two months, we've been playing really, really good ball. So, um, you know, I think that challenge of playing uh, those great programs and coaches in, in the preseason really did. It, it helped me out as a coach and it helped our, our players and our program out quite a bit. So let's talk about um, your style of play. Talk about how you want USF to play and what and what you've done, why you did it, and you know what what's your overall vision of how you're going to run your program. It's a it's a great question, and, and the reality is it's it's ever changing. As funny as that sounds, because yeah. you know early in the year, um, you know one thing that I really liked about our team going into the season was I thought we were deep. You know I thought we had. 10 guys um, that that could really impact games and, and that could give us, you know, good efforts on any given night. And uh, building on that, I, I don't – we have some really good players, but, I, you know, we didn't have any amazing one-and-dones or anything along those lines, you know. So I really thought the depth and consistency with throughout our roster was one of our strengths. So we wanted to play faster, you know, simply because we thought, you know, our 10 against their 7 – uh, would pan out better in our favor over the course of the season. So early in the year, we were playing fast. We were getting up and down quite a bit. Our offense was incredibly efficient because we were getting some great opportunities in transition. But our defense was was simply not 
it just wasn't catching up. And so we were able to beat some of the, you know, lower level teams in, in the non-conference. And we stole some, some, like we beat Yale and that was a great, great win for us. I think they're top 60 in the net right now. Um, but towards the end of non-conference and then those first two league games, it, it just wasn't working with the same, you know, success that, that I was hoping for. So we kind of, we kind of transitioned in the middle of the year. We kind of shortened our rotation a little bit. Uh, we started playing a little bit bigger, we got some of our, our more athletic guys out there. And sure enough, over the last two months, we've been the 25th best defensive team in the country. Over the last month, the 13th best defensive team in the country. And uh, a lot of that is simply, we're still running in transition when we have the opportunities, but uh, we, we've just really tightened up our D. And uh, I, I think that's why we've been able to play really at a more consistent level here. And, uh, you know, that allowed us to, to do a great job. I think we won five out of last, six out of our last seven or something. Then we, you know, took Gonzaga down to the wire a couple nights yeah. ago. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I thought, you know, playing faster was going to be better, but you know, now since we've kind of slowed it down a little bit and, and played a little bit bigger and, and got some, some better, some more length out there that might, that's looking like our best team. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll try to, you know, my thing is, and, and I sure, I'm sure you appreciate and think the same, you know, you gotta, you gotta put your kids in the best position to be successful. You 100%. know, I, I don't want to say yep. we're going to be a four out one in team and do that because we might have uh, the opportunity to play two really athletic guys in the front court where three round two makes more sense um so we're just going to kind of take a step back uh going into every year and look at our personnel see what we think is is best for them and then uh run it out there and see how it goes well you know doing this for a few years i found out that it's uh, flexibility is a key thing in coaching yeah. uh whether it be through injury uh you know, illness, uh, or, yeah. you know, academics <laughs> or, <laughs> or the guy just ain't good enough. And, uh, you sure. know, and you sure. have to constantly adjust and, you know, and I don't care if it's NBA or college bowl, you have to be able to do that. And, and if you have sometimes only two good players, biggest thing I always tell coaches is make sure your best players get the most shots. <laughs> and, That's right. You know, That's I right. Mean, you know, all these people that were doing, you know, motion offense or triangle or, you know, what, and all, you know, passing game. And all of a sudden they were saying, hey, I'm getting my guys wide open shots, but they can't play. That's why they're wide open, you know? Right. But uh, one of the things, so tell me, are you playing mostly man to man? Yeah. So we're, we're, we're primarily a man to man team. We play, I would say 90, 95% man to man. You know, and, and we really, our defensive uh, motto, so to speak, is we, we really like to keep teams out of the middle of the floor. Uh, right. We want to make them operate on the sides. We really try to run teams off the three-point line. Um, you know, that's, I guess, kind of my analytical background. Sure. But we want to make teams uh, finish tough twos over a hand. And then one thing that we stress this year, and we've done a much better job over the last, you know, two months of the season, is we, we really try to defend without fouling. Um, you know, I look back a couple weeks, we beat Pepperdine at home, and and they're, you know, Coach Romar's done a really, really good mm, job excellent. with that group. They have some really talented players. And, uh, you know, they're they're number one in the country in free throw shooting. So our, our biggest thing in that game was we got to be able to defend these guys without fouling. You know, we'll live with, you know, them making a couple shots here and there. But if we allow them to get to the foul line, it, it's just going to be a long night for us. And, and we went to overtime with them. And, and I'll be honest, the only reason why we won the game is because in 45 minutes, we only allowed him to shoot nine free throws. So, um, you know, th those three things are what we really stress defensively in the man-to-man. -man. And, and we'll play a little zone, you know, if we feel like we have to shake it up. For example, in the conference tournament, you know, Jaleel Tripp from Pacific was – he absolutely murdered us in the first half. He had 23 points. Uh, he's an undersized bulldog four-man that was just getting to the rim at will on us. And so – Going into the second half, we said, hey, we're, we're just going to zone them. You know, we're going to play a little 2-3 zone, hopefully slow them down, see if they can make some shots on us. And, and sure enough, you know, it held trip without a point for the first 10 minutes of the second half. Wow. It allowed us to take a one-point halftime lead out to about 15 points. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not a huge zone guy because, again, like the three-point volatility bothers me. But, um, you know, there, there's always – situations where, where you have to adjust and we were playing a little one three one earlier in the year we put the two three in right before the conference tournament as a way to shake it up and give some different looks and you know in the gonzaga game the first possession of the second half we went two three simply because i thought mark was gonna you know have an ato that they were gonna sure get an easy you know dunker layup on us and uh, i just didn't want to start the second half no. that way and uh you know we, we gave up a pretty good look from three but knock on wood it didn't go in and, and we went on a quick 4-0 run to get that thing back tight so um, primarily man to man. Uh, I think that's going to always be who I am. You know, that's kind of what Randy's philosophy is. I don't know if he's played a possession of his own in 15 years. So I think, uh, 
uh, we'll, we'll be that way for a long time unless our personnel dictates otherwise. So uh, you're, are you icing uh, pick and rolls, forcing them down? Is that what you're yeah, saying? We, yeah, we're, we're, we're really big on that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, honestly the, where we started doing it at Columbia in my second year because uh, the NBA was really starting to do it then. And, and Tom Thibodeau was a guy that I remember watching and, and really kind of appreciating the way they guarded it. So we put it in um, and, and it helped us. But until I got down to Auburn and, and Chuck Person, actually, uh, who was coordinating the Lakers defense in one of their championship runs, uh, taught me how to teach the backside of it, which I think is, you know, the most important part. You know, you got your two guys in the ball screen who are trying to pin everything to the sideline, but if the three guys not involved don't know what they're doing, it kind of, it kind of ruins everything. So we, we really, uh, drilled down on that part of it, that aspect, and we zone everything up on the backside sure. with our three guys. And, uh, you know, we feel like our, our side ball screen coverage is one of the most organized in the country. And, what ends up happening, especially in our league, is towards the end of the conference, like teams just won't run ball screens on us on the side. They just keep everything in the middle of the floor. Um, but I, I think that's one of the best things that we do. Well, I think a lot of, and I, and I said this, you know, in my clinics for years, is that the, um, and I don't mean this, most college coaches don't know how to create offense off of an icing or down yeah. a ball screen. Yeah. I know. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, they should go to coaching you clinics, but uh, if they did, <laughs> they would find out it's better to have a great guard. Uh, but you know, what you find is uh, that it really helps your defense out. How do you teach the guys, the guy guarding the ball, uh, Todd, to get that guy to dribble down without a lot of hand checking, like we were able to do sometimes in the NBA. Yeah, it's you know we and and honestly the thing that 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 I've thought about and and I just don't think the refs call it that much. So we're we're, we're fine with our guys being a little physical. I, you know, we might might have had four or five fouls called all year on it, um, but we tell our guards to get into the ball handler. Yep. And the reason why is because if if they're just jumping, you know, back to the side of the screen just to ensure that the guy doesn't go over the top of it that just puts your big at a really big disadvantage, right? Cause that guard now is able to go downhill and whether it's either snake it or try to beat it along the baseline. Um, but we want our, our defender to get into him to, to really just eat up that, that offensive space. And then the, the next part with our big is we just teach them to stay square to the sideline. We don't want them to square up the guard. Um, because if mm -hmm. they do again, that, that in my opinion will allow the guard to, to have a better opportunity to snake him back to the middle yeah, of the floor, you know? Exactly so we right. really just tell them to pin them and, we want them to try to beat us baseline. We have some good coverage uh, on the baseline and taking away the hammer pass. And uh, usually we'll have a bigger defender there on the, on the strong side block. So we just really, really, really uh, tell our guys to keep everything on the side. And then if, to our big, if you're going to get beat, get beat baseline. You just can't get beat back to the middle of the floor because we don't have a coverage for that. So when you're doing that, uh, let's just make believe it's a side pick and roll foul line extender. Sure. So the guard's up in them. Okay. Now, the, here comes that pick and roll. The, the guy hasn't adjusted. He hasn't changed the angle to a step up. Okay, so he's yep. still in the side pick and roll. And now, how high is that guy that's guarding the uh, the ball screen? How high is he coming up where he's almost touching that guy? But uh, or is how you know what I mean? So he can't. Yeah, get for sure. Yeah, uh, it's uh, and the answer is it's different for for each guy. So for example, we have a guy who who's having a heck of a year. His name is Jimbo Lowell. He's a seven foot, 260 pounds center, really like your old throwback NBA type center, right? Mm. He's uh, not, not the new, you know, stretch, you know, rim running fives that they have today. Um, so we, we allow him to sit back a little bit. You okay. know, I, I don't sure. want him to come out and, and try to, you know, trap or aggressively, you know, guard this guy. Cause you know, it's just not, it's not in his DNA to be able to keep those guys in front and that'd be asking him to do something that he's just not comfortable doing. So we, we allow him to kind of drop in the ice coverage a little bit, but sure. still with the same mindset of keeping them out of the middle. Whereas if I have a more athletic or quicker guy defending the ball, we want them to come up and trap and be more aggressive to, to bother the ball uh, and we have a couple guys, whether it's Tavi Yurkatam or Josh Coonan, who play the four and five for us that, that can do that. So uh, it's more dependent on who the defender is. Uh, and if it's a guy that we feel like can be disruptive defensively, we want, him, we want him to kind of come up and stay attached to his screener and then bother the ball. But if it's a bigger guy who, who's not as comfortable defending on the perimeter, we'll allow him to drop back and be more of a container. I love that. I love that. It reminds me of when, uh, you know, Jeff Van Gundy was coaching the Rockets. He was always, a, him and Pat Riley were blitz the ball screens, right? 
and yeah. Patrick Ewing, they didn't care. They're blitzing, you know, and we're playing against them when I'm in Detroit, and we got Patrick Ewing at 40 feet away trying to blitz a ball screen, you know, with Bill yeah, Lambeer, you know, and you're gonna just go, run them all over the place. You're going to get him all night in that situation. But Yao Ming, when Jeff had Yao, he dropped his ass right back at the almost at what now is the arc. <laughs> sure, <laughs> and, sure. And, you know, and, and took advantage of that. I think it's, that's great coaching. We're going to take a timeout. We'll be right back with Todd Golden. Fast Model Sports is the world's most comprehensive, versatile basketball coaching software to help power your preparation. Fast Model has developed the industry's best coaching software, including the number one play diagramming and playbook software, FastDraw. FastDraw bridges the gap between whiteboarding and the digital world with an incredibly easy-to-use interface that can be used on both your computer and iPad to providing maximum portability for your own personal play and drill database. It doesn't stop there. Along with FastPro, they have other great programs such as Fast Scout, which helps coaches create clean, professional scout reports customized for your team. Fast Model is trusted and used by all NBA and WNBA teams, 85% of Division I college teams, and over 8,000 high school and youth teams from over 75 countries around the world. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 5,000 free plays and drills on their online coaching community. For access to these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. We're back with Todd Golden, the head coach at the University of San Francisco Dons, and uh, after a fabulous season taking Gonzaga uh, to the to the wire, boy, I thought I'm, I'm cheering like hell, and you know, my wife <laughs> says, "What the hell are you cheering about? It's Gonzaga." <laughs> and I said, "Oh, this is this is this is our friend," you know, and so it was really sure. cool. Not that not that Mark Few's not, but uh, but right. it's good. Let's talk about analytics. I, you know, sure. I, I, it's such a big part of the game, and. You know, I do a lot of things with the NBA Players Association, teaching the young, the guys that are playing to be coaches. And uh, immediately, the thing was, uh, I, I don't want to know shit about analytics, man. No, no, no you know, I just, I'm a player. You know, and then we tell them we got to embrace it. You know, if you want to work, this is what it's about now. And everyone, what we found in the, with the 30 teams in the NBA is all 30 teams, Todd, have different different analytics. What they wanted to get out of it. Okay, sure. so. You were brought up, and I used to say Chuck Daly, Pat Riley, those guys 100 years ago, pre-computer days, uh, they had analytics too. It was called the stat sheet. They could look at the stat sheet, and they could say, okay, this is what's going to win. I guarantee you Randy Bennett looks at the stat sheet and says, you know what? If we out-rebound these other guys and we don't turn the ball over, guess what? That's good basketball. You know, I mean, so they exactly. understood what, what made it. And, you know, Steve Kerr, your friend out there in on the West Coast, you know, he, he says that all the time, if we have 30 assists or more, then we're moving the ball. You know, that kind of yeah. thing. And he counts the number of passes. You know, if they have 400 passes in a game, then they're playing their style. Okay. Sure. So hustle stats with Randy Bennett was a big thing, that system. Uh, I know you believe in it and other analytics. Why don't you share some of the things? Because I'm a big believer. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I guess the, the, the first and foremost uh, thing with analytics is, you know, I, it's it, it gets a negative uh, response sometimes because I think, you know, the reality is a lot of people don't understand what analytics is. And, and, sure. and it's, you know, very simply, it, it's what you said about Chuck Daly and Pat Riley. It's It's looking at a stat sheet or looking at any other data that you gather and finding ways to, to make your program or your team better based upon that information. That's all. It's really just studying information is all it is. And, and that's where, you know, I, I laugh and, and I'll use the example from the NBA. You know, people will say, oh, you know, the mid-range is dead. The mid-range is dead. And the reality is, no, it's not, you know, but there's only a few guys, even at the NBA level, where it's a good shot from from a standpoint of winning. And you look at a guy like Chris Paul, right? He's a, mm-hmm. he's an incredible scorer in the mid-range and in, in the paint, whether it's his floaters or his jump shot. That's a winning shot because Chris Paul can make that at a 55% clip. Now you have other guys who, who can only make it at a 40% clip. And for those guys, it's not a winning shot. And, that, and that's what analytics is. It's being able to delineate the difference between a winning play or a winning shot and a losing play and a losing shot. And that's where Randy and Kyle were so ahead of the curve with their system of what they called hustle stats. And all it was, was just, it was just statting. It was just, you know, 
watching the five on five film of practice and statting winning plays and losing plays. That, that's all it was. Whether it was, you know, uh, making the difference between a, a, a live ball turnover or a dead ball turnover or, you know, just uh, figuring out if guys were blocking out or not or, you know, just the virtual assist is one of my favorite stats of all time. You know, you have a point guard who's going in there and, and making plays and he, he has a great kick out to a wide open three point shooter. Well, if that guy misses the shot, he doesn't get an assist in the box score. Mm-hmm. But, and their system, you would get full credit for that that play because it's process over result. You know, it's if that guy's making that play to the open three point shooter every time, over the course of the game, the percentages are going to play out in your favor. So, uh, the best thing that I learned, and the reason why I'm so appreciative of it, and why I believe in it so much, is because as a walk on at St. Mary's, that system allowed me to prove my worth and to prove my value to Randy and Kyle, and it allowed me to become a three year starter within their program. Um, so we, we've taken a lot of that, um, even from 15 years ago when I was playing for those guys and we still do it now. Now we've changed some things here at USF, uh, over the last nine months to, to better it in my opinion. And one thing that we're doing is, uh, giving value dependent upon the shot that you're taking. And, and the way we really drill down on it is we really like rim twos and we really like catch and shoot threes. Uh, and so we give a lot of value. Uh, to those shots and what we do is if you make it you get a ton of value and if you miss it you do not lose a ton of value because again it's process over result now what we drill you on is is tough contested twos so if you're taking a non-paint dribble two and you make it you just don't get a lot of credit for it because it's just not a great percentage shot but if you miss it we're drilling you pretty hard for it and what it does is we pair it with the video and then we show our guys and they pick up on it they figure it out and now i'm fortunate because i have really intelligent players within my program we had five out of the 11 uh guys on the wcc all academic team and so our guys are looking at it They're, they understand the numbers we pair it with the video so now they see it uh, with their eyes as well and and they're able to kind of differentiate you know good things from bad things but again uh it's really just you know showing these guys process over result you know we give positive value for blocking out we drill you if you don't block out because we believe that really helps your defensive and offensive rebounding uh, you know we're top 25 defensive rebounding team in the country and, and we don't have top 25 athletes but again our guys will hit they'll block out um, and to your point, we really try to take care of the ball. You know, we, we always talk about 10 turnovers or less. If we can have 10 turnovers or less in a game, we think we have a great chance to win. And over the last two or three weeks of the season, we did a really, really good job in that area. And that was something that we were struggling with in the beginning of conference play. Um, so, you know, all these different things, they add up. And, uh, you know, again, the, it's, the box score is, is analytics. You know, you see sure. your field goal percentage, you see that your offensive rebounding rate, even fouling, you see how many more fouls or, or less fouls you have than your opponent. You can, you can find uh, really workable information from all this data. You know, that's, that is a hundred percent. I'm a 100% agreement on all that. Talk about, uh, let's talk about some things that, you know, I think the college game, you know, I, I, I've been around it a while, you know, you're younger to it, but you have great thoughts. Um, one of the things I know you do is you, you've implemented the NBA concept of a two for one, I, I, yeah. you know, uh, explain, uh, why that is important and it's, it should be as obvious as what two for one is, but, uh, and then how, how to go about it because a lot of college coaches they'll say yeah two for one but they don't even know when the hell to shoot the first shot so i mean you know and their players don't understand why they're doing two for one so i think that part of the teaching and the philosophy of it yeah so it's it's funny i picked this up one of my buddies um he interviewed for the g league job with the houston rockets and this was about uh I think it was two years ago or something. So he, he met with Daryl Morey, mm-hmm. who obviously is one of the, the biggest analytical guys in, sure. in, in basketball. And one of the things that he walked away from that interview with was Daryl Morey said, no matter what, you should always go two for one. Um, and, and the reason behind that is because two, you know, b- bad to average shots are better than one great shot. And the math behind it's simple. You know, if you take a 30% three twice, that's, you know, 1.8 points where if you take a good three once, you know, say it's a 50% three, that's only 1.5 points. So you're, there's a 0.3 uh, 
uh, delta there that you're missing if you don't take the two for one. So we, we really, that was one of the things that myself and Jonathan Sapphire, who's my director of operations, who went to Vasher, a really smart guy. And then Jason Greenfield, who I working for me, who's a, a former hedge fund guy that did incredibly well financially, who now is just fortunate enough to, to go to the, the master's program at USF and do sports management, which is really great. And then help us out as well. And we, we just made the commitment at, before the season, hey, we're, we're just going to always take the two for one no matter what. And so what we tell our guys is we want that first shot to, to be taken right around or right before 40 seconds left on, on, the, on the game clock. And that's going to give us enough time to get back and, and guard. And then we should have somewhat between, you know, 17 to 10 seconds left on the game clock to come down and get another opportunity before halftime. And, and really, we were able to execute it against Princeton the first game of the season. Uh, we were up two, went down, made a layup with, you know, 38 left. They came down, shot with 10, and then we flew it up and got a, a offense rebound put back. So we went up six at halftime when we were really only up two with 40 seconds to go. And, and those made big differences, you know. Um, and then the, the funny thing is, and this is the process over result part of it in that Harvard game, we were able to execute it perfectly twice. When I say perfectly, we were able to get two for ones at the end of the first and second half. Now it didn't, we didn't reap the rewards because we didn't, we went over four in those shots. Sure. Um, but process or result it was the right thing to do and you know if we just make one of those we win the game so uh the two for one's big you know a lot of a lot of coaches um i, I would say want to over control in those opportunities you yes. know and the, oh let's make sure we get a good shot well not i mean you just got to get a shot you know you get a shot with around 40 to go that's going to guarantee that you get the last possession in the first half and if you do that over the course of the season it's going to play out in your favor more often than not you better have uh what i call lack of a better term a quick hitter that yeah. uh that you can get that shot at 40 uh or else like it's no time to come down and run any continuity offense or anything like that you better have something that your players believe in and know and they can get that shot even if it's in literally they take the ball out of bounds with 48 to go and they can get that shot at 40 with the right yeah. guy one of your right guys shooting it you know for sure. One of, one of the things that we honestly like to do in that situation, we, we just like to X, we call it X cut and drive, you know, so we'll, we'll just try to get a guy on a straight line, downhill drive, um, going to the rim again, because twos are higher percentage than threes in those situations. You want less volatility. And again, it gives you the opportunity to, to get on the offensive glass. And then if you have a strong side help, you just kick out to the corner and you get a three, you know, mm -hmm. so we try to simplify it and, uh, and just really, so our guys know what we're looking for. Right. And I think that's, that's really big in those situations when you want to get a shot in a certain amount of time to your point, if you run your continuity, whether it's your continuous ball screen or your flex or whatever you want to do, it, our, your guys might not know exactly what you're looking for, but if you can give them something, whether it's a quick hitter yep. or an X cut drive, then they really, then they know what you're trying to execute. I love it. Hey, I'm going to make you uh, in this, as we're recording this, we're in a little bit of a volatile time in conference tournament action. Uh, so to sure. speak, uh, but uh, I'm going to make you the commissioner of college basketball. Okay. With unlimited power. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. What rule changes would you want to implement? I know I'm throwing this to you right on the spot. That would make our game better. Anything that you've ever thought about that would make our game better, even if it's yeah. self-serving, you know? Sure. I, I, the one thing I, I think that would, would be an easy switch in, in the women's side's already done is to go to four quarters. Amen. Uh, you know, I think that would be something that would really uh, make more strategy in the game. Like we're just talking about two for ones, right? That sure. would be that would be two extra opportunities uh, to to do something along those lines. Um, I, I would. I'm trying to think what else would be good. Um, defensive three seconds. You know, I, I think that would be something to think about. Uh, that would you know basically eliminate zone at the college level if they if they did something along those lines. Uh, but I, I go back and forth on that. Um, I can just imagine the college refs being able to make that freaking call. You know, my right? God, that, my that, God. You, would, you oh, would see that geez. quite a bit. Um, <laughs> on the road, yeah. on the road, you'd be whistled for it all day long. Um, for sure. What about? What, what, what are some that you think about? Uh, what about shot clock? I, I I really advocate. I mean, I do so much, and I'm sure you do from your St. Mary's days. You know, I'm sure you do a lot of overseas stuff, scouting and stuff. Sure, and, sure. You know, and I, I love the idea of a twenty four second clock. clock. I mean, I don't care if I'm in China, if I'm in Iraq, India. 
everyone's playing with a 24-second clock, boys and girls, you know, from the time they're like 15, 16 years old, you know. And I think it's a control thing with college guys, coaches, I mean. For sure. You know what? And the funny thing is, you know, I, I talked to Ken Pomeroy about this. And, and you know, some of the – a lot of the mid to low major coaches have argued that um, the 24-second shot clock would would highly benefit the high major level. And, and he made a great point. He said, you know, he said, Ty, I, I actually – think it's the other way you know you look at a team like kentucky who has incredible talent but they're young that sometimes they lack organization you know they're not they're not great at executing the half court all the time you know if you only have a 24 second shot clock you know it's going to be really hard for them to find a good shot sometimes so um you know if you have a really organized you know well-oiled team at the mid-major level it could actually benefit you to have a 24 second shot clock because you can find offense easier or quicker whereas the big boys who might have younger younger talent it might take them you know longer to execute so i'd be a great i'd be fully behind i mean you know we see our uh, junior national teams you know men and women uh you know 17 under 18 under 19 under you know going overseas and never having played you know, high school, we don't even play with a shot clock, right? Most of the states, and uh, and now you go, they go out there, they got a twenty-four second clock, and they're like phenomenal. Well, you say, well, they're the best players, but they adapt so quickly to the style, so yeah. it would really be fantastic. And I know, for instance, Brad Stevens, and uh, you know, when Billy Donovan first coached that twenty-four seconds when they were like at Florida, and so they couldn't. Mark Few was also there; they couldn't. They couldn't believe how great it was, you know, playing that thing. Uh, the other one is uh, my thing is a five fouls. Uh, yeah, I, I just I just don't understand it with college uh, where we're supposed to be all about student athletes, all about playing. And right. I know that you know if one of my guys gets a foul in the first minute of the game, I got to take him out because I can't right. trust that that referee's going to not whistle him for the second when he's sitting next to me for eighteen minutes. You know. Oh, for sure. I and, just, and, I, and, I just wish that we would get, let the kids have three per half, basically, and no, have six for the game. It's, it's, it's a great point, and, and I'm going to make one last comment on the shot clock. Um, sure. Before I lose my train of thought on it, but that, oh yeah, the, the NCAA, right? They're always looking for ways to enhance scoring, you know, and so right. they they put these whether it's the hand check rule, uh, whether it's the block charge, whatever it is, you know. Um, freedom of movement, right, yes. is always talked about as a way to enhance scoring. Well, I'll, I'll give you a, a great way to enhance scoring. You take that shot clock down from 30 to 24, you're, you're going to get more scoring because you're going to have more possessions. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just simple math. And, and that would be a, a great quick way to, you know, raise scoring probably by five, six, maybe even seven points a game. And that that's what the NCAA is looking for. You and, know? and, you know, I don't care what they say. Every kid – even if he's a three-star player, they all dream of playing professionally. You know, for sure. And nothing wrong with that. You know, no. It'd be like saying, you know, I don't dream of getting a job with Google or Apple or something when I graduate. You know, if you're a business right. major, you know. And so, why not prepare them? Why play it? You know, college basketball is the only uh, men's basketball is the only uh, you know game in the world played with two. Qu- two halves instead of four quarters, right? right? right. And it just doesn't right. make any sense. And my other pet peeve is the technical foul being a personal foul. A personal you t- foul. You tell yeah. me why that is. I, I, well, I, I, I'm giggling because when we played LMU the first night of the conference tournament, uh, we, we played pretty well. But with about 15 minutes to go, I think they are making a little run. We were up 13. And, and the guy, that one of their players who had been really hurting us in that game, and we had just played them a week before. We, we had to play them back-to-back. Um he picks up his fourth foul and then he barks at the ref and and the ref bangs him with a tech and so he fouls out of the game with fourteen <laughs> minutes to go and sure enough we that's we a, just ruled him the rest absurd, of the way right? after that. Yeah, and, uh, that's too bad. Uh, but to your five foul point, it's one hundred percent accurate. You know, for me to be honest, Brendan, I, I I don't really sub based on fouls. You know, I think we're top ten in the country in in what Ken Pomeroy calls two foul participation. You know, it's a uh, the only guy that I'll be pretty tentative with in terms of playing with two is my big guy because those guys are more likely to pick up the fouls. Yeah. But, uh, you know, if one of my guards picks up two fouls, you know, in the first 10 minutes of the game, uh, I'm just playing him, you know. Really? And if he picks up his third, we'll adjust. Yeah, but I, we, we really don't sub um, in the first half due to two fouls. And and the reason we, we don't do it is because those 10 minutes are just as important as the last 10 minutes. If, if you play take out one of your best players, so you bench him, 
say he picks up two in the first 10 and you bench in the last 10 minutes of the first half, if you go from you know being up one to down seven, that, that's going to be an awfully big hill to climb in the second half. And, and those 10 minutes are just as important as the last 10 from that standpoint. So we will, you know, like I said, if it's a big guy and I think he's really at risk of picking one up, we will sit him. But if it's one of my guards, especially one that doesn't foul a lot, if he picks up two just kind of unluckily or coincidentally, we'll, we'll roll him out there and, and keep him out there for the whole first half. I love that. I, see, now I learned something today. I like that. I like yeah. that. <laughs> That's great. Tell me about Kyle Smith quickly. Um, uh, yeah. DP raves about him. David Patrick, uh, you know, uh, you know, what does he do best? He has been so is, successful uh, at Columbia and San Francisco and now Wash State. Yeah, I think I think Kyle has – first of all, he's one of the smartest men I've ever been around. He He's just – uh, the way his brain works, it, it's phenomenal, man. He's always, uh, whether, you know, he reads a lot, he's just went to Hamilton college. He was a liberal arts major. You know, he's a, he's just a bright dude. And I, I think he more than anybody in the country and Randy's the same way. He just really understands what winning is all about. You know, he, he just really understands, um, you know, how to build character, how to build culture, uh, you know, how to practice hard, how to, you know, he, I, he runs a great 10 and a half month program. You know, a lot of guys, think the only important part of of college basketball is the season and getting guys on the same page but he's big on player development you know we worked really hard in the spring after our season was over in developing guys whether it was you know offensively or defensively and then in the summers the same um and then once the the fall rolls around it's all about team building and getting these guys to really understand how to play together one through ten uh, and get everybody on the same page but you know you look at Kyle's resume and, and as a player he had Hamilton number one in the country in D3 back when he was a player and then you know at San Diego they had really good teams and then with Randy you know they built that thing up from ground zero so uh, you know just his really understand his under, complete understanding of winning of toughness uh, and of culture I, I think he understands that better than anybody in America wow that's pretty darn impressive and it's good yeah. Todd, my friend, uh, it was it was so great to catch up. Congratulations on an amazing first year and uh, the start of an incredibly brilliant career. And I uh, really appreciate you coming on for coaching you today. It was fabulous. No, Brent, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, happy to do it. And it's it's always fun to, to talk basketball with, with brilliant minds like yourself. So I appreciate you uh, having me on and look forward to catching up soon. Well, thank you again and uh, enjoy the off season. We will. Todd Golden, wow. Uh, what an amazing, amazing young coach with a pedigree background from Randy Bennett, Kyle Smith, Bruce Pearl. I mean, this guy is smart, young, enthusiastic, but what a what a great mind of how to play to coach the game. I enjoyed the hell out of it. Until next week, this is the coach, Brendan Sarah.